You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. The fifth chapter of of the book of Ephesians. We're continuing in our study this morning of the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning. We began this study some six months ago, I guess. It's been around that time, and every Sunday we've just been picking up where we left off the week before. And last week we ended with the last verse of chapter 4. So this morning we're going to pick up with the first verse in chapter 5, and we're going to do this continuously until we get through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning. For those of you that are visiting with us, and maybe some of you that have not been frequenting this place on Sunday evening at 6.30, I've begun a series of messages on Sunday night through the book of James. And we're in the first chapter of the book of James, and it's a tremendous, tremendous book to study. So I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that with us if you're not now doing that. Let's read chapter 5, verse 1. I want to preach this morning. I've entitled this, Like Father, Like Son, this message. Read with me just the first verse. We're only going to deal with one verse today. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, it's not often that I just preach on one verse of Scripture. Let me promise you, though, the length of the passage has nothing to do with the length of the message, all right? But it's not often that I confine myself just to one verse, but as I studied this verse, it was so tremendous, and there were so many good things that we need to draw out of it, that we need to learn, that I have disciplined myself to confine myself to one single verse this morning. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You know, children love to imitate their parents. Children learn how to imitate their parents. There just seems to be something fascinating about my shoes to our little two-and-a-half-year-old, Tiffany. She seems to want to wear my shoes more than she wants to wear her shoes. I remember one time when she was just beginning the process of, of, of walking and beginning to get stable on her feet for the first time that she disappeared to the back of the house for an inordinate amount of time. And you that are parents understand what I mean, that when your children disappear to another part of the house and are out of sound and, uh, and sight, for more than just a couple of minutes, you begin to get a little sweaty under the collar and begin to wonder what's going on back there. We, we were just about to begin the search through the house to try to find Tiffany when I heard coming down the hall this clomp, 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 clomp. And about that time, she rounded the corner into the living room, and there she was with my size 10 shoes on her size 1 feet with a grin that was about a mile long on her little face. You see, she wanted to be like her daddy. Not very long ago, She disappeared again, and this time she didn't show up in the living room, and so we began the process of looking for her throughout the house, and we discovered her in the bathroom floor. That's a dangerous place because there's an awful lot of goodies in there, you know, that can be gotten into, and we opened the door. There she sat, and in one hand she had a stick of mascara, and in the other hand she had a stick of lipstick sitting there looking like a painted lady. (laughs) She wanted to be like her mom. She had seen mom putting that stuff on her face, and so she decided that she ought to do it also. You see, children learn to imitate their parents. They love to imitate their parents. They want to be like mom and dad. You've heard the saying, like father, like son. You know, there's an awful lot of truth in that. There's a whole bunch of truth in that, like father, like son, because children do, in fact, imitate 
their parents. They want to be like you. Now, not only are they going to imitate you in your mannerisms, not only are they going to try to put your clothes on and put your makeup on their face, they're not only going to imitate you in that way, folks, but I'll guarantee you, your children are going to imitate you in your lifestyle. It is something that comes natural to them. It is a natural instinct to do what they see their parents doing. If you live a godly life, if you live a life that is consistent with the Lord Jesus and with the Word of God, if you live a godly, consistent life, then there's a good chance that your children are going to grow up living that kind of life because they are going to imitate the attitudes of their parents. But if you live a life that is inconsistent with the Lord Jesus and inconsistent with the Word of God, if you, let's use the word, if you, if you live the life of a hypocrite that says one thing out of one side of his mouth and does another thing the other six days of the week and your children see that lifestyle, there's a good chance that they are going to grow up imitating that hypocritical lifestyle that you've set for them. Now, Paul opens the fifth chapter with this attitude and this idea in mind that children imitate their parents and he opens the fifth chapter with this amazing command it is amazing when you think about it his command is be imitators of God what an incredible statement that we are to be imitators of the God of the universe the Almighty Father we are to imitate him now the word that Paul uses for imitate is the word in the original language from which we get our word mimic and you know what a mimic is? A mimic is someone that mirrors every action of another person. And that's really what Paul is saying. Be imitators, be mimics of God. In other words, be a reflection of God in your life. Be like the Father. Be imitators of God. Now that is so important. That's why I wanted us just to camp here for a few minutes today on this one verse and see if we can draw out the spiritual truth in this verse. Like Father, like Son. Be imitators of of God. I only have a two-point message this morning with a few subpoints under each one of those and a few subpoints under those. So stay with me, get your pencils out and maybe take a few notes here. Be imitators of God, like father, like son. I want you first of all to notice the responsibility of being imitators. The responsibility of being imitators. Notice Paul doesn't say try to imitate God. Paul doesn't say when you feel like it Try to be imitators of God. Paul doesn't say when it is convenient be imitators of God. He just puts it in the imperative in the form of a command and he says be imitators of God. In other words, we are responsible for that kind of lifestyle as God's people, as Christians. We are responsible to be imitators of God. Now if that is true, if we are responsible for that, then it's important that we understand what he means. It's important that we understand how we become those imitators of God. Now, obviously, there are certain characteristics of God that we cannot imitate. Certain characteristics that there's no way we can imitate. Let me give you a few $64 words to illustrate what I'm talking about. First of all, we understand that God is omnipotent. That's a good word. It's a good seminary word. It simply means he's all-powerful. There's nothing that God cannot do. Everything is within the power reach of the Heavenly Father, and he is omnipotent. Now, obviously, we can't imitate that characteristic of God. We talk about God as being omniscient. That means that God knows everything. There's nothing that escapes his nose. Everything the Father in heaven sees and he knows everything. Now, although some of us might think that we can imitate that, really, in reality, we cannot be omniscient. We cannot imitate that characteristic of God. God is also omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at once. There is no place that he is not. He is every place at once. The psalmist said it this way. 
Where can I flee? Where can I go away from your presence? And his answer, he finally concluded, nowhere. <laughs> There's no place I can go where you are not, God. And the psalmist just goes through all kinds of descriptions of the various places that he might possibly go. But then he concludes, but everywhere the Father is. He is omnipresent. There is no place that he is not. We cannot imitate that characteristic, you know. For some of us, it's hard enough for us to be in one place, <laughs> you know, at a time. We have a difficult enough time just being in one place at a time. And obviously, though, we cannot imitate the characteristic of God, the omniscience, the omnipotence. I can't even say it, much less do it. And the omnipresence of God. Those are things that we cannot become. We cannot imitate. So what is Paul talking about? If, 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 if it's not those things, what are the things that Paul is talking about? When you study the context of this verse... It becomes obvious and apparent that what God's Word is saying is that we are to be imitators of the moral characteristics of God. That His nature, His character is to be made manifest in our lives. That He desires that we as His people be expressions of His character. And that we become expressions of His nature. That we become mirrors of the moral nature and character of God. In, in other words, that we become imics. Uh, images are mimics. <laughs> That's the combination of two words there. I wrote my own dictionary, okay? That we become images and mimics of the Heavenly Father in His moral characteristics. That His nature begin to exude from our lives. Now, I thought about that and thought about that and, and became overcome by the number of things that the Scripture says are characteristics of God's nature that we ought to become imitators of, and obviously can't cover all of them. And so I just began to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you, what do you want to share this morning? What do you want me to say? And I, I came up with three of the characteristics of God that you and I ought to be mimics of, that you and I ought to be imitators of. And probably the reason the Lord brought these to my memory is because these are the ones that I needed to hear the most. That's the way that He usually does it. But if we are to be imitators of God in his moral characteristics, in his very nature, what are some of those things? We'll look at the context a little bit. First of all, we are to become imitators of God in our attitude of forgiveness. Our attitude of forgiveness. Look at verse 32 at the very close of chapter 4. These, this is the verse that Paul closed with and then went right into this, be imitators of God. He said, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Just as God in Christ forgave you. How are we to be forgiving? We are to be forgiving just the way that God is, just as God in Christ forgave us. See, that's part of the character of God. Praise the Lord, He is. <laughs> Thank the Lord, He is a forgiving God. That is part of His character. And the more that I learn how to forgive, the more that I become, the more I become like the Father. Jesus told a story to His disciples to illustrate that point. Many of you are familiar with it. It's a story of a master that had great many servants and all of those servants owed him certain sums of money. The master chose one day to call in the debts, and so he calls in a servant. And the scripture says that this particular servant owed the master 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a measurement of a sum of money in ancient times, and he owed him 10,000 talents. To change that into modern currency, most scholars agree that it is somewhere in the, in the range of $10 million dollars. 10,000 talents would be around $10 million. And so here's a servant that owes his master 10 million bucks. So the master's calling in the debts and he calls the servant in and he says, pay me, you flake, or I'm going to throw you into prison. Well, the scripture says that the servant falls down at the feet of the master and begins to beg and cry and plead for mercy and says, give me time, I'll ultimately pay the debt. Jesus said that the master's heart was moved with compassion and with mercy and he forgave the debt. 
He just wiped the books clean and he said, forget it. You don't need to pay me. Just go all away. I forgive the debt of $10 million. Now, now you know, the servant, uh, he's pretty excited about this, I imagine. Uh, he's walking out on clouds. He's, he's, you know, he's, 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 he's happy. He's excited, just like you would be if someone forgave you a debt of $10 million. But on his way out, Jesus says he comes across a fellow servant that owes him 100 denarii. Now, a denarii was the equivalent of about 17 cents in our money. So that means that he owed him about $17. And the servant who has just been forgiven $10 million by the master says to the fellow servant, pay me the money you owe me. And the servant falls down and he says, I'll pay you, but I cannot today. Give me time. Let me work it out and I'll get the money to you. And the servant said to the other servant, he said, no, I will cast you into debtor's prison. So he threw him in the clinker. And the master hears about it, and he calls the first servant back in, and Jesus says he executes judgment upon that servant, that unforgiving servant. Now, the point is very clear that Jesus is making. It's the same point that Paul is making in verse 32 of chapter 4, that every single one of us, every single one of us owes a debt to the Heavenly Father that we could not possibly pay back. There's no way that servant could have ever paid back $10 million. The point is clear. Every one of us has a debt that we owe to the Heavenly Father. It is a debt of sin that is beyond our capacity to forgive it. Yet if God the Father would forgive us a debt that we could not pay back, how much more should we be willing to forgive those around us who have those little minor discrepancies and those little minor infractions against our life that we have a tendency to want to hold on to? We ought to become imitators of God, forgiving just as God in Christ forgave us now we need to remember that the next time we're tempted to harbor resentment the next time we're tempted to harbor bitterness and an unforgiving spirit a, a, a spirit against somebody that has done something against us remember what paul says be imitators of god just as god in christ forgave you so we ought to imitate god in that forgiving spirit you know it's so trite almost we say that so glibly and I wonder if the, if the hearts of every one of us could be just laid bare here this morning. How many of us have gladly, gladly received the, unplay, the, the forgiveness of the unpayable debt of the Heavenly Father in salvation in Jesus Christ? We have gladly said, when God said, I forgive you of that unforgivable debt, we've gladly said, oh, Lord, I receive it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yet deep in our hearts, are not even so deep, but right on the very surface, there are those that that have done minor things, that have said something wrong in a crowd or have not said the right thing in a crowd or maybe have said something to someone else or have done just some minor little thing, even as minor as a look. And we hold that and we harbor it and we hold on to it. Jesus said, be imitators of God. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Not only in forgiveness, but in faithfulness. I don't know why this came to mind. I just believe that probably the Lord just said, James, you need to hear this today. Faithfulness. The faithfulness of God came to mind. That's part of God's character. He is a faithful God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul said, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Now, if God is faithful, then we as his people ought also to mirror that faithfulness. We ought to be faithful even as God is. Paul went on in 1 Corinthians in chapter 4 and said to these Corinthian Christians, he said, it is required of a good steward that he be found 
faithful. As God is faithful, then you and I ought to be faithful. What does faithful mean? It simply means trustworthy. It means reliable. It means someone who can be counted upon. Paul says, be imitators of God. As God is faithful, we ought also to be faithful. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I think probably the greatest compliment that anyone could ever pay me would be if I told them that I would do something and someone began to call in question whether in fact I really would do that thing that I had promised or not. And the person to which I had promised it said, I know that he will. And they say, why? And they're able to say, because he said he would. You see, God is faithful. God can be trusted. He is reliable. You can count on every single thing that the Heavenly Father has said in His Word to be accomplished and to be done. Why? Because He is faithful. Paul says, be imitators of God. As God is faithful, you and I ought also to be faithful. Faithfulness builds trust. Trust builds relationships. And every relationship in life must be built upon faith and upon trust. We must be faithful. Well, not only is God forgiving and faithful, I had to do this. God is holy. God is holy. That was the first one that came to my mind. Every time I think of the Heavenly Father, I you know, not only think of His love and, and all of those things, but I think of the holiness of God. The Apostle Peter said it in his epistle, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Those are the words of God that, Paul, that Peter was quoting. You shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, a characteristic of God's nature is His holiness. We don't like to talk about that much. We don't like to talk about being holy. As a matter of fact, I've said this before, most of you that are listening to me today would probably take it as a slam if somebody called you holy. If somebody said, hey, oh, so-and-so is a holy person, you're not sure you'd like that. You're not sure you want to be called holy. You'd probably feel like that would be a, a slam against your character and against your nature. But the Word of God says, the Father is holy. And even as I am holy, you shall be holy also. Now, the word holy simply means to be separated. To be holy does not mean to be strange or weird. It means to be different. It means to be set apart. It means to be separate. That's what the word holy means. Simply to be separate, to be set apart. So what does it mean when it's applied to God? That God is holy. It simply means that He is separated from sin. He is set apart from the world and the world's sin. He is holy and completely holy in that He does not participate in any form or fashion with the sin of the world. That's what it means when it says that God is holy. And so when the, when the Word of God says that as God is holy, you also ought to be holy, what is it saying? It means that we are to be set apart from the world. Our lives are to be different. Everything about us is to be separated from the world. It means to be willing to dare to be different. To be willing to be different in a world. A lot of Christians, many of you here today, have lots of friends that are not Christians. That's good. You ought to. You ought to know people that don't know the Lord Jesus. You ought to be willing to go out into the world and make those friends they oughtn't be your best friends. Your best friends ought to be people of God. But you ought to have those friends out in the world that don't know the Lord Jesus. You have a lot of friends that are not Christians, and your greatest struggle, I hope it's a struggle, your greatest struggle is the willingness to have the courage to be different than those people because you know Jesus. That is your greatest struggle in life, to, to be willing to be different from them. 
and you rationalize your not willingness to be different from the world by saying something like this. If I go overboard with this, you know, holiness routine, <laughs> if I go overboard with this Jesus stuff, you know, I mean, you know, I want heaven and I want eternal life and I want Jesus in my life right now and I want the abundant life, I want all that, but I don't dare go overboard with this thing because if I do, I'll never be able to win that non-Christian friend. Hogwash. Garbage. You know what is exactly the opposite is true? Exactly the opposite is true. If you are never willing to be, to be different, to set a consistent Jesus-like example, there is no way on God's green earth that you're going to win that friend to Christ. Don't rationalize your unwillingness to be different from the world. Peter said, echoing the words of God, I am holy, therefore you shall be holy also. God is faithful. We are to be imitators of God in his forgiveness, just as God in Christ forgave you. In his faithfulness, he is reliable. His people ought to be reliable in their words. And in his holiness, God is holy. He is separate. He is set apart. Jesus said you are to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to live in the world, but we don't have to become like the world. We are to be different, holy, set apart unto God. Be imitators of God. Now, the second and last point. It's not only the responsibility to be holy, but Paul deals also with the reason to be imitators, the responsibility of being imitators and the reason that we are to be imitators. Notice what he says there at the very end of the, the first verse. He said, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, as children. Notice he says that we are children. We are beloved children. Romans 8 Paul said, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. From cover to cover, the Scripture echoes those words, that we who know Jesus as Lord and Master are children of the Father. We are children, but we're not just individuals. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. No such thing. We are not just individuals in Christ, but we are children of the same Father. That means that we are a part of a family. We're part of the family of God. We have a responsibility to that family. Being a part of the family, being a child of God, brings great, great benefits. Jesus said we are heir to all of the things of heaven. But not only the benefits that come with it, but there is a tremendous sense of responsibility that comes with being a member of the family. We are to be imitators. Why should we be imitators? Because we are children. And what does that mean to be a child? It means that we are a representative of the family. We ought to be imitators as children because of our representation of the family of God. As children, we represent our family. Ain't that true? The honor and the reputation of the family is in our hands. It is our responsibility. As we walk out in the world, people judge the family on the basis of our behavior. Now, isn't it true? Isn't that the way it is in the human family? That's why you mothers, when you send your children off to spend the night with somebody, you say, now, wear clean underwear. Have you ever said that? It used to burn me up, you know. <laughs> you know, say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, go to sleep when they tell you to. Don't raid the refrigerator. Don't paint on the walls, you know. Don't dig up the flowers in the garden. You know, all of those kinds of things that a good, respectable child is supposed to do. You give that child all of those last-minute instructions because you know that if your kid digs up their flower bed, it's going to be a reflection upon you. 
because that child is a representative of the family, is a representation of the family. So we ought, first of all, to be imitators of God in all of his moral characteristics to let his character come through because of our representation of the family. We are members of a family. My wife will, will grin when I tell this story. She doesn't know I'm going to tell it. When I was a pastor in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, for those near three years, a new pastor moved into our association of Baptist Church. A fellow I'd known from seminary, as a matter of fact. So we thought that we would do the neighborly thing, and that is to invite the new person in the community over for dinner. I mean, we were going to really play it up and, and you know, do what we should, should do to welcome them into the community. They had two young boys. Well, they came over and, and that dinner for the next three hours, it was bedlam. <laughs> I mean, when they left, it looked like the aftermath of World War III. Now, I'm not talking just boys will be boys. I mean, I agree with that. You know, boys will be boys, and, and there's a certain amount of that that just boys are going to just do certain things, and, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about total and complete mass confusion for three hours. The final straw, folks, was when one of them made a frontal attack on our color television with a claw hammer. That was the final straw. And after that whole shooting match was over with, my wife and I made a blood pact that we would never subject our furniture to that kind of attack again. You see, never one time in the entire three hours was there even the hint or the, the threat or even the hint of any kind of discipline upon those children. It would just pull them off of one thing and they'd get on another. Pull them off another thing and they'd get on another. And by the time that night was over with, I, I, just, I couldn't believe that anything was still standing in the whole place. Never once was there a hint of any kind of discipline. We liked the parents. We wanted to spend time with the parents, but the children were a reflection on the family and we were not about to put up with that kind of behavior in order to be with the parents. Do you understand what I mean? We ought to be imitators of God because we are representatives of the family and as people look at our lives, we are a part of the family of the kingdom of God and when they look at our lives, they make a judgment about the family of God by looking at us. And if our lifestyle is not what God has called us to be, then it casts a reflection upon the family of God. Let me say something to you that may sound maybe kind of mean. I don't know. I don't want it to be sound mean, but I want to say it. If you call yourself a child of God, or you even are a member of this family here at Cornerstone Baptist Church, yet you go out into the world and you live your life in an ungodly and unholy kind of manner in the language that you use and the jokes that you tell and the business practices that you participate in and all of those kinds of things, do us a favor. Don't tell anybody you're a member of the Cornerstone Baptist Church. Don't tell anybody that you're a member of the family of God because your behavior casts a reflection upon the family of God. We are to be imitators of God because we are children of God. And that means we are representatives of the family. And when our behavior does not measure up to the, to the command of the Scripture and the lifestyle of Jesus, then we become a negative reflection upon the family of God. Not only are we to be imitators because of our representation of the family, but finally, because of the adoration of the Father. I love this. Because of the adoration of the Father. Look what he says, chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Not just children, but as beloved children. In other words, Paul says we're not only in the legal relationship of child to father, child to family, we're not only in a legal relationship to, 
like that, but we are beloved in that family. We are beloved of the Father. There are a lot of children that biologically and legally are members of a family but are not loved by their father or by that mother, children that are neglected. And so just to be in a legal relationship does not mean that you are loved. But Paul says that not only are we in this legal relationship of, of the part of the family, but we are beloved in that family. We are beloved children of the Father. And he watches us as a loving parent would. He watches us as a parent watches that child as they take the first steps in life. The father watches us as we take our first steps toward Christian maturity. As a parent watches those little legs take that little body around the corner for the first day in school. With loving interest, so the heavenly father watches us as we walk through life. We are beloved children we ought to be imitators of the Father in heaven, not only because of our representation of the family, but because of the adoration of the Father that is upon us. This past week, last Thursday night, the little school that my little girl goes to for two days a week put on a program. Many of you are aware of that because a lot of you were there. And they do that once or twice a year, and, and the auditorium there at the school was just packed with proud parents. <laughs> There's nothing greater than just an auditorium full of proud parents. And they started the program with the, the youngest children. They paraded them on stage there, and they'd do their little song and dance. And, and then the next group, you know, would come on. And it was a Methodist church, so they did their dance. <laughs> oh, well, I had to throw that in. They, they, they did their little, you know, their little thing there on the stage. And, um, oh, it was just great. And all the parents were beaming and everything. But after each group would do their little deal, then the principal would come up and say, now, if you are parents of any of these children... Would you please come forward and pick up your child? Now, I watched those parents, and I was one of them when, when Tiffany was on stage, but I watched those parents as they went to get their children, and not one parent had a hard time finding their child. You know why? Because through that entire program, that parent had those eyes fixed on that child. It was like that was the only kid that was on stage. And so when they began to go and, and get that child off the stage, man, it was like there was nobody else that was there. They made a beeline right for that little boy or that little girl. You see, Paul says that's what our relationship with the Father is like. The Father has his eyes fixed upon us. He adores us. We are beloved children. But something else I also noticed, and I love this part, was that those children, as they were on that stage, and they would be singing their song and walking around, beating the, the sticks and all the different things that they do, their little heads were constantly turned toward the audience. And when they'd get to a place where it was not convenient to look straight, they'd just they'd turn their head this way. And their lives were constantly searching that auditorium. Who were they looking for? Looking for mom and dad. Wanting to be pleasing. Wanting their parents to be proud of what they were doing on stage. Mom and dad were watching, and those children knew that they were loved, and they wanted to be sure that mom and dad could see everything that they did. Paul says, be imitators of God. Why? Because we're children, therefore we have a representation of the family. But also we are beloved children. That means that the Father adores the children. His eyes are fixed upon them. And our greatest motivation for being like the Father is because of the love relationship that we're in. Be imitators of God. It's a responsibility. He desires that His characteristics be made manifest in our lives. Why? Because we are His children. He adores us. He loves us. We are in a privileged relationship. Therefore, Paul says, be imitators of God. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father, for your word. 
we stand unworthy of that. We recognize that we all continue to stand unworthy of that love. We stood unworthy of grace when you called us into yourself and saved us. We recognize that, that salvation was completely and totally of you, that you even gave the faith to believe. Our relationship with you has been a grace relationship, and that's what amazes us, Father, that even though we were not worthy, that you adore us as your children, that you've called us to be your children, and that your love is shed upon your people. We praise you for that. More than anything, Father, we really and truly want to be imitators of God. We want to be like you. We want to be forgiving the way you are. We want to be faithful, that our words would be in concrete. We also want to be holy. Lord, make us holy, not to be strange, but just to be willing to stand for you in a world where that's not popular. And I pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.